Health is Your Wealth, a Walton County conversation. My name is Dee Dee Harris. I'm the executive director of Walton Wellness, Inc., a nonprofit here in Walton County dedicated to the prevention of lifestyle-related chronic illness. And I am back with my world-renowned co-host, <laughs> Bruce Young. Hey, Dee Dee. I'm glad to be here again. Thanks so much. Yeah, and we want to let everybody know that we'd love to hear from you. Yes, and I'm supposed to say that part, actually. <laughs> we do want to hear your comments, complaints, questions. We want to hear any subject that you'd like for us to talk about. Um, and yeah, the way you can do that, get in touch with us at waltonwellness at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Facebook. Yeah. So we are back again with another series. Um, this is actually the, what is this, the fourth? This is number four. The fourth um, episode in this series, and our topic is suicide. Unfortunately, not an uncommon thing in this community, and um, we want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode one, where we do talk about a lot of the statistics for suicide in this community that I think is important to put things in perspective Yeah, as to what we're talking about. Certainly go back to the first episode and it's information that I, that I was astounded by. So I think you'll find it valuable. Um, and you know, one of the things that um, I've just wanted to point out in our other episodes when we've been talking about this is I quote in that first episode, I quote a statistic about in 2016, we had 22 suicides, actual suicides in Walton County. And um, one of the things when I've been talking to people around the community about this topic and about this podcast is I've said, you know, if we lost 22 Walton County citizens to some illness or some serial killer or something we would totally hear about that oh, i mean we'd absolutely. be talking about it um so that is why i think it is so important that we are talking about this because i think it's going to be really surprising to a lot of people to learn um the numbers that we do have in this community when it comes to suicide and and just that very fact how important it is to talk about it period um it's uncomfortable but the more we talk about it, the more we're going to bring things to light and hopefully prevent some people from um, attempting or succeeding. And at least get a dialogue going uh, around the subject because it is a sensitive subject. And that's a good point about it being any other issue. You know, 22 of our, of our residents, we would be talking about it. So that's a good point. Um, like we said, this is number four. And... Didi spoke with another uh, sheriff from the sheriff's department. This is Major Scott Wisnant. Yeah, and, and Major Wisnant is actually over patrol. That's a newer job for him, but he is over our 
um, patrol division at the sheriff's office. And this conversation, we did talk, our first episode, we talked with Lieutenant Cornelius, and he gave us a more kind of um, from the front lines perspective, whereas Major Wisnett is giving us a more general perspective from law enforcement and from a department point of view as well, and just talking a little bit about resources and you know, the law as it uh, relates to suicide. Right. Well, let's get into episode four then. Okay. Well, um, Major Wisnet, I want to welcome you to Health is Your Wealth, and thank you for coming in and talking to us today. Can you um, kind of introduce yourself and tell us what you do here at Walton County Sheriff's Office? Sure. Uh, my name is Scott Wisnett. I am uh, the Uniform Patrol Major here at the Sheriff's Office. Uh, I also run the uh, Administrative Division, uh, which is responsible for training. So I also have to say that this is kind of a new position for you, right? Yeah, it's uh, I've been here uh, I left from just strictly being in charge of administration and training uh, for a number of years. Uh, I've been in this position, I think, since January. January. How's that working out for you? <laughs> um, more, gray, more gray hair, less sleep. <laughs> I know. Busy, 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 for sure. Um, so you know that uh, Health is Your Wealth has been working on a series about suicide in Walton County. Um, unfortunately, that is nothing uncommon in our community. Um, very something that, unfortunately, too, is rising all over the country nationally. Suicide is going up, so I think it's an important topic for us to discuss for our community. Um, also, law enforcement obviously is a huge component of this sure. in our community. So. Uh, we talked with Lieutenant Cornelius, and he kind of shared with us a little bit more about kind of a personal side and a, and a definitely a more personal experience, being that he's a patrol officer and, and he's the one answering the calls. So now we kind of want you to talk about a little bit more globally, looking at department-wide and kind of um, legally what... Um, mental health or suicide kind of comes into play and how that intersects with law enforcement. So first, can you kind of tell us about um, the goal of the department when an officer goes out on a suicide call? And I know that might sound like kind of a strange question, but I think you know what we're no, talking about. No, it's a valid question. Uh, so it, it really, even though people look at us as strictly law enforcement officers, and I think they kind of paint the image of, hey, we're there to write tickets and put people in jail, um, we're a first responder to any type of situation in the county. Uh, we're always going to be there, even if it's a fire department call, a medical call, a, a lot of those calls we're still going to respond to. And, and with suicide calls or threats of suicide, or just somebody that's mentally ill, our goal is to stabilize the situation, um, make sure that everyone is safe, but really our main goal is is to kind of de-escalate the situation, help calm things down, and get these people in touch with resources to get them uh, the help that they need. 
I promise you that it serves no one any good at all to um, take somebody that's in mental crisis and put them in jail. Sometimes that is, unfortunately, the solution that we have to, to go with because of the severity of the situation. But uh, somebody that's in mental crisis, truly, they don't need to be incarcerated uh, unless they absolutely have to. And when you say that you, someone who is in a mental crisis may end up coming to jail, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the fact that they are threatening to kill themselves that would end them up in jail it would have to be that they were threatening someone else or they've maybe injured holding somebody, somebody else hostage. yeah they they've injured somebody else uh or sometimes you'll see people that that commit crimes uh because they're all and they're also in the middle of some type of mental crisis whether it be abuse like spousal abuse or a, a family member uh or just public at random somebody they're having a disagreement with and then as a result of them being in crisis yes they have broke the law uh, they've done harm but then it becomes full circle and they become suicidal I see if that makes sense and well a, a lot of times you also will hear about and you tell me if I'm right sometimes a domestic call can end up into a mental crisis suicide type situation. Is that correct? It it can. Yes, it can. So tell us about the training that Walton County offers when it comes to suicide prevention or I don't I'm sure it's not called that, but what kind of training do the, do our officers in the community have with mental health and suicide? Well, it starts mainly, of course, at the academy. Uh, They receive training focused on really two things, de-escalation and then dealing with folks in mental crisis. And it's basically just a set of very basic tools to help them um, deal with the person in crisis. It's it's basic. Uh, The governor's office pushed out an initiative several years ago that mandates uh, de-escalation techniques training that we do annually. Uh, Part of that is to cover people in crisis. The real money I feel like we make on it is we try to put everyone, every sworn deputy, into crisis intervention training, which is a 40-hour class. It is hosted and held by mental health professionals. Uh, it explains to these deputies the different types of mental conditions and how they can identify them. For instance, you know, how can you identify that, hey, everybody's saying this person's in crisis or they're crazy or, you know, they're not right, but it, it's tools to pick up on and say, hey, this, this person's probably schizophrenic. This person's bipolar. Or, conversely, if you get the phone call that, caller says hey we've got a person here they've got a problem and we know that they're schizophrenic then the deputy is able to to reflect on this training and know okay here is the best way to deal with somebody in this condition Um, it also introduces them to some of the resource providers uh, that are available in the state and in the community 
uh, to understand what their parts are and, and their role, how they add into helping this situation. It's a, uh, it's a big investment for us uh, to send somebody to 40 hours of training. Yes, yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you. Is that yeah. offered here at the department, or do they go somewhere? So it's held throughout the state. Uh, the the state has pushed, and, and there's a real uh, big effort. It has been for probably the last ooh, four or five years. We actually we're actually hosting it here this year. We host the training, so uh, the providers will come down here. Uh, they are all generally most of them are through NAMI, that organization. What's NAMI? Um, can you can you think of what the acronym Nash, is? National Something mental health. Mental, <laughs> yeah. Great folks, uh, and I'm embarrassed not to be able to to tell you what that acronym stands for. But they uh, there's not a lack of, of training. It's it's more of us being able to schedule and get folks in it. Right. So I'm guessing. I mean, obviously, you can't have everybody go to training at one time. So that is something that there could be deputies answering calls mental health calls suicide calls that have not been through this training they have not been through the 40-hour crisis intervention training but they have had you know the basic right. levels of training. and then we just about now any type of in-service training that we hold here has some type of component on dealing with folks in mental crisis because it's so prevalent right is that is there something i'm so you refer to mental crisis, and we're also saying suicide. Can you tell us what you're what you're referring to when you say mental crisis versus well, I, like suicide? I kind of think both of them are one and the same. Um, we will get we will classify calls kind of in two different ways. One of them, one of the types of calls that we'll receive will be classified by the nine one one center as just a person in mental crisis. Okay. Um, Sometimes Can those you say calls, what that might be? it could be anything. It could be, let's say I have a certain mental condition and I'm off my medication uh, and now I'm acting out in a certain manner, whether it be I'm having hallucinations, okay. uh, whether it be I'm truly physically and mentally out of control. A lot of those calls will cross over into suicide calls. Now, we do get a large number also of just calls for service that are, hey, I've gotten off the phone with my loved one and they're saying they're going to commit suicide. Uh, or sometimes the person themselves will actually call. We also will get calls from third-party providers, whether it be like a Veterans Crisis Line or uh, the Georgia Crisis Action Line or any other third-party provider that will call us and say, hey, we're providing care for John. We've been on the phone with John, talking to him, and John just indicated to us that he's contemplating suicide. So they'll call us to go respond there to see if we can provide any assistance. Okay. So is that fall under, because with uh, Lieutenant Cornelius, we talked about that there's mental, there's welfare checks, mm -hmm. which welfare checks could be a mental sure, health call, absolutely. but it may yeah. not be may either. may not be, but it could be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of falls into the same so, um, point blank, is committing suicide against the law? It is not. It is not. I think that might be a surprise to a lot of people. Yeah, and it 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 really, I mean, and as I know that we'll go forward and talk about some of this, um, it ties our hands in a lot of ways um, because we have to be extremely mindful of, of everyone's Fourth Amendment rights, our 
any of their other constitutional rights. Right. So one of the things Lieutenant Cornelius had shared with us was if he does go out um, for someone and they say, I'm fine, I don't need any help, there's really nothing else you can do. Even if you suspect that maybe they are really in crisis or whatever, because they have not committed any kind of crime, that's what you mean by your hands are tied. Hands are tied, and what, what we would normally do in that kind of situation is try to give them a referral to a mental health provider or encourage them to work with uh, a provider that they're currently receiving care from and and just try to get them to reach out to resources they have. And then, unfortunately, we're going to document that to kind of cover our own bases right? Uh, to show that, hey, we did everything we could legally do and, and, and try to reach out to provide them with help. But at the end of the day, um, in that situation, which happens a lot, then there's really, there's nothing we can do. So when you um, respond to a call, it, I, my thought is, is it weird to respond to a call that's not something against the law? Does that does that add up? No, uh, it's not weird because we're first responders for okay. everything. I mean, it's not, I mean, believe it or not, even though it's 2019, we will still get the occasional call of, hey, uh, I've got a snake in my yard. Will you come get it? Hey, uh, <laughs> there's, you name the type of situation. A lot of times people don't know who to reach out to, uh, so they'll reach out to us, and we'll either help them or refer them. So I want to go back to the training a little bit more, just because I want to ask, and I know obviously you're with Walton County, so you can't speak necessarily, but would bigger departments in possibly more urban areas, do they have more training, or do they have maybe even a professional on staff that deals with this? How does Walton County compare looking at maybe Gwinnett County? Well, I, I can't answer specifically to what any particular agency has and what they're utilizing. I do know that there are some larger agencies that are able to field um crisis intervention teams. So the training that they've had is no different than the training that that we're providing our deputies with here. The difference is, is uh, because they have greater manpower, I guess, uh, they're able to put together teams that that is their focus. So like, you know, we might have um, our deputies are on the road. They're, they're jack of all trades they're trained to deal with and you know from a to z type calls people in some of these larger departments they're crisis intervention teams so if a call of this nature goes out there may be an officer or deputy that initially responds to the scene and then this team will be en route and there's there's a couple of things that are going on there number one these incidents and episodes uh, can often take a lot of time to deal with. So let's say in a typical situation in any agency, you've got an officer assign, assigned to a certain zone. That's his patrol zone. Right. Okay? So there's going to be more calls for service go out in that patrol zone, right? Um, 
so if you take this officer and he's dealing with somebody in crisis and it takes 45 minutes to an hour to, to resolve the situation, that's 45 minutes or an hour that that officer is out of service. Now you've got to pull other resources to cover and handle the calls for service in that area. So what they're able to do, and I think it's a, a model that has had some success, is the initial officer goes out, uh, realizes that, hey, this meets the criteria for this specialized team to come in. Uh, then they come in and take over the situation. Now, are they more trained um, Probably not, but they will have just from the day-to-day -day experience. They are more experienced uh, because so it's these people on the team they in. are law enforcement. They're, they're law not enforcement like officers. They're not mental health. They're not mental health folks. Uh, but they also, uh, because they do it day in and day out, they are more familiar with the resources. They're more familiar with the numbers. Hey, call this person for this. Call this this person for that. Now. I have heard of, of some areas that that do that same team where there is a mental health professional embedded in that team. Um, so I think it's a great model, but you know you're you're talking about a lot of resources for to be able to do that right. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, I guess my next question for you is not thinking about the resources funding mm -hmm. that it would take to put something like that together. The number of mental health calls that Walton County receives, the mm -hmm. number of um, suicide threats, attempts, and actual suicides that we have in this community, in your opinion, could this department support a team like that? Would that be something good for mm -hmm. us to have here? Well, it's a matter of scale. Um, obviously, any thing like that is good to have and would have a positive impact what we've got to look at is you know so how do you handle that do you take people and put them on call and on call schedule uh, would we be able to fully employ and keep busy I guess in layman's terms two people every shift working seven days a week 24 hours a day probably not um, I don't believe so at all I think that there's probably some more efficient ways to handle it. But more resources, you know, is never a bad thing. It, right. it's, it's just really hard when you're looking at the totality of everything we try to do every day with our mission. Um, is that the most efficient way to deal with the problem? And just to say, even though I know I started off asking you about what was the department's goal when someone goes on a suicide call, but now that we've kind of gotten into a little bit of what's the department's mission overall? I mean, we think about police officers, we think about somebody breaking the law, but what really is the sheriff's office mission for the community as a whole? Well, the, the sheriff's office uh, here in Walton County, we're what's considered to be a full service sheriff's office. So outside of the normal constitutional duties of the office of sheriff, we still do, uh, we answer calls for service, which is obviously the mission of the Uniform Patrol Division. So we've got all 320 square miles of, of Walton County. We respond to calls of service. But the sheriff's office also has several other duties. So with the Uniform Patrol Division, obviously you're going to have a criminal investigative division um, that's going to handle follow-up investigations for Uniform Patrol and also uh, everything else 
that would go on. But because we're the sheriff's office, we're also mandated by law. We tying into this, we're responsible for all the mental health transports um, in the county. So any mental health transport that originates out of the county, we're actually. What does that mean? What's a mental so health So once a person, and I know we'll talk to it here, we'll talk, speak about it in just a little bit. Once a person is 1013, um, they're going to be committed involuntarily to an institution the office of sheriff is actually mandated by law to to transport those people so does that mean um if they were 1013 in the city of loganville the sheriff's office is still That's going correct. to be the transport person okay yep. so then uh, we actually uh the civil division that we have you know they're responsible for the security of the courthouse that's one of the constitutional duties of sheriff but that's just a small part of that because it's not just security of that facility. They're also involved with transporting inmates all over the country uh, because we're one of those counties that we don't care where you get locked up at on one of our warrants, we're going to come and get you. Mm -hmm. um, so they're responsible for doing all of those transports. Uh, then we've got civil paper process that we serve. Uh, that is always you've always got civil process that's got to be served uh, we step out and go above and beyond we've got a school resource officer division where we try to have well we do have uh, deputy sheriffs in every high school and middle school in the unincorporated areas of the county and we've actually also we're moving forward with a plan to put one in every elementary school mm. um, so and those are just kind of some of the normal functions that, that most people could identify with. Uh, the jail. I was just saying, we haven't jail, even talked about the jail. Running the jail in and of <laughs> itself is, is crazy. Um, it, we could talk for hours about all the responsibilities and everything that that curtails. Right. So the, the sheriff's office, I mean, and, and probably any police department very similar, is not just about arresting people, not just about breaking the law, but it is first responding any kind of crisis situation. And so often, because 911 is so easy to call and easy mm -hmm. to remember, that is the first thing that people think of when anything goes wrong. Um, so basically it's kind of a clearinghouse for everything that anyone who feels like they're in crisis in the community. Am I correct with that? Yeah. Uh, we're kind of a catch all for everything. And kind of handling everything at one time. So one of the things with, um, this conversation about suicide, which you can't separate it from a conversation about mental health. Um, now, we do plan on talking with an expert and, you know, thinking about how people come to suicide. People come to suicide from all different reasons, all different crises that have happened in their life, whatever put them in that situation. A lot of times they come to suicide because they have a history of mental health issues, whether that's depression or some type of true diagnosis of mental health, schizophrenia, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of... I wanted to touch on what you know of. You you talked about that the 
Officers do try to connect people, the calls that they go on, to some kind of resource in the community. And we were talking before we started recording, um, and you shared with me that your thoughts aren't, we don't really have a lack of resource in this community, but possibly the way that we use them. Can you kind of touch on mm-hmm. some of that? So, basically, uh, I feel like, yeah, we've, we, we've got a great number of assets here in the county. I mean, we have a private mental health facility here in the county. Uh, we've got Advantage Health Services. We have access to state resources. One of the things uh, that was created under the governor's initiative several years ago was this Georgia Crisis Access Line, which is basically a 1-800 number anybody can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, and it's it's great in the fact that you can pick up the phone, call somebody, maybe receive some over-the-phone counseling, and then immediately get set up uh, with appointments for aftercare. And I think that that model is great if someone is willing to reach out and take it. Uh, Advantage Behavioral Services here, they do a great job, serve a large number of people in the community, and... That model is set up more like a doctor's office where, okay, I know that I need help with this, and I go there and I receive the help. And then you also can get put into um, whatever type of treatment program or counseling you might need. The problem is, and and there are other resources that, that, that are out there that we're not mentioning and other agencies that have part of this pie, but... The problem we have is dealing with people on scene, on crisis, like a first responder, somebody that can actually show up uh, on a scene. Now, GCAL, the Georgia Crisis Action Line, has a component to it, which my understanding, and I could be incorrect, has not been fully funded to where the state is trying to look for providing teams that can actually come out. But I think that we're probably behind on that. Right. Uh, we're in a region that stretches all the way up to the northeast border of the state. And my last understanding was is that there were a team of two people working that entire area oh, uh, that wow. could actually show up on a scene. So, so here's the problem. Here we are in Walton County. We've got somebody in crisis that needs help right now. A two or three hour response time, if it's coming, is probably not adequate. Right. Uh, then we have great, great like Advantage Behavioral, a great, uh, a great provider. They're not set up to hey, okay, we've got somebody in crisis and we're going to uh, load up in a car and we're there in twenty minutes, right. able to come on the scene. To come on the scene, um, I think that's the part of the pie that's missing. I know that like Advantage Behavior has something they call the ACT Team, um, which I'm sorry, I don't know what that stands for. but <laughs> Another acronym. <laughs> I know that last week we had a gentleman that uh, was in crisis that they were actually able to bring people out to the scene. Uh, but that's rare that we're able to do that. And please don't even, we don't want to talk about Saturday, Sunday, middle of the night because their business models are not set up to run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So um, I think all the resources are there. I'm just, 
I think the critical piece of it that we would like to see in law enforcement is somebody that can actually show up and partner with us hand in hand. I mean, you see that when working with family and children with DFACs. Right. DFACs has the ability to come out and send one of their agents and be there on scene to deal with these situations. Um, So... So that is a model that you would like to see oh, happen. Yes. Yeah, I think it would be a game changer for the community to have something like that. And we also, you had mentioned before um, 1013. So that is something yeah. that a lot of people might not know exactly what that is, other than maybe from movies or something. Yep. No, I'm, I'm glad um, you brought that so up. So the 1013 is really the only intersection of kind of, what should we say, legal legal teeth that you have um what exactly is that how does that happen right so what i want to do is i just want to read verbatim Uh, we actually most of our contact a licensed professional counselor a doctor or your probate judge uh who judge bruce wright here in our county they have the the capability to issue these order to apprehend orders Uh, and let me just read off some things about that so when we're talking about a 1013 it's actually an order to apprehend an order to apprehend issued by a judge of the probate court based upon either an unexpired uh, 1013 or 2013 or the affidavits of at least two persons who have seen the subject person within the preceding 48 hours and that based upon their observations they have reason to believe that the person is a mentally ill person or an addict drug-dependent individual or a drug abuser requiring involuntary treatment. So I, I, I don't said think also, I ever knew that that could be referred to as, a, as someone with an addiction. Yes, and, and that sounds almost black and white. Now, again, a physician, and a, a recently they changed the law that a licensed professional counselor, psychiatrist can, can issue these orders. That sounds kind of cut and dry, but uh, in layman's terms, for if you're dealing with a family situation, that means basically pretty much two family members are going to have to go sit down uh, and, and speak with the judge and, and convince him um, that this situation you know, is out of hand and this person needs to be involuntarily committed because it's a huge thing. Uh, for a judge to sign an order, and I don't envy his position in having to weigh all this out. It's a huge thing to sign an order that says this person hasn't broke the law, uh, but they are in such need and unable to to make decisions for themselves that we're going to take them and involuntarily commit them for a period of time. All right, so against where their do will. you take them? That's the big question. So there's several... Um, there's several options in that, and I'm not, I can only speak to it in layman's terms. Basically, if you have insurance, that opens up the door to a number of institutions that will accept you. Um, now, in institutions, are we talking about, is there still like mental health no, institutions? Okay. No, pretty much. What no, are we talking about? The state shut all that down. So there are, um, like Ridgeview here in Monroe is okay. a private institution. So like a 30 day type well, facility? When we're talking about the 1013 order, unless unless the receiving facility uh, does something to change that, we're only talking about a 72-hour period. Oh, okay. So, uh, so a 1013, am I right, only mm-hmm. 
it serves 72 hours 72 after hours. that it's an evaluation period okay and their goal uh basically is to bring you down out of crisis and and make sure you're not a harm to yourself or others and get you into further treatment now there are state run facilities still uh or, or facilities that run and serve the state for people that don't have insurance the generally the closest one that we use would be in augusta okay there are a number of other ones uh but it gets really complicated as what their condition is and their past history and a lot of times what it also comes down to is bed space right uh, we may have a signed order on somebody to commit them and there not be a space available for them so the judge oftentimes is dealing with that before he even signs these orders so he will make sure before he signs the order that there's a bed to. space he tries to because what would happen if there's no bed space anywhere then I mean, we have to hold off on serving the order uh or he'll sometimes may and i, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth have to hold off signing the order until we can get that worked out I see. Um, so it can be a problem um and that's with the signed 1013 order. Generally, the sheriff's office is always going to be the people in the county that will serve that type of order. Uh, that order commands any peace officer to take that person into custody and deliver them to the nearest available emergency receiving facility uh, to where they will be examined. So what all that means in layman's terms is the 1013 order is signed we still have to take them down to the hospital and have them evaluated to make sure um, that they're stable enough medically uh, to be transported down to the treatment facility. They have to be cleared, in other words. But this would not be something that could be used crisis. Let's say you know one of your officers shows up at a scene where someone is making a suicide threat. Um, you don't hurry up and get a 1013 right this no, is something that's I'll, more I'll like ongoing that. yep i'll speak to that and i want to go back and correct what i said it's not 72 hours it's 48 oh um, even less so it's even less time so going back so if it's not a 1013 uh, a lot of times people will get frustrated with us because they don't understand why we as law enforcement can't um we just can't intervene on our own we can't sign 1013s. Uh, basically, what the state law says is that any peace officer may take a person to a physician or psychologist in the county or the nearest emergency receiving facility for examination if, and there's a couple of ifs, the first one being this person has committed a penal offense, he's committed a crime, he or she has committed a crime, and they are mentally ill person or an addict, drug-dependent individual, uh, requiring involuntary treatment. Uh, in those type situations, we don't need to file formal charges against the individual prior to taking them to the uh, treatment facility. Uh, we do a report. So that sounds real cut and dry, but it's not. So if we encounter somebody that has committed a crime uh, and we can tell that they are really in need of a mental evaluation, we can take them against their will to the hospital to be evaluated by a professional there. Now, if, once we... Did you say if they've committed a crime? If. Okay. Now, 
we take them there, the hospital can still uh, look at them and, and form their own opinion and say, no, we don't think they need to be um, – we don't that we don't think that they need to be sent off for an involuntary evaluation. Um, so, at that point, then we're only left with the charges, the criminal charges that we would have. So the ten thirteen, from what you're saying, is kind of convoluted. I mean, it doesn't sound Very, that way. It, it's but not, when it gets yeah. into practice, this is not something that is going to be quick. Right. I mean, you're probably more talking about somebody who, let's say, in thinking about addiction, this mm-hmm. is like a long time coming, right. or this is somebody who has right. a, a clear diagnosis that right. stopped taking their medication and has really kind of snowballed into something. Right. So, um, so in our thinking about our immediate suicide threats or whatever, 1013s don't maybe necessarily come into play as often. Um, usually not. What, what will happen, and, and you have to understand, the calls that we get, there's such a wide variety. Uh, it may not even be somebody that's in serious distress. It could be, you know, two, um, two people that are in a relationship. One of them gets mad, and to draw attention to themselves, they say that they're going to harm themselves. And then when we get there, we find out that, you know, maybe it's just a ploy for to get right. attention from the other person. But if they're in, in serious, serious distress, um, usually once we get them down to a treatment facility, there are, there are a lot of things that they can do there that I can't speak to that that can calm the situation down without having them involuntarily committed right. for 48 hours. Um, and a lot of times if you can get people de-escalated, which is the big buzzword that we all use right now, if you can get them de-escalated, um, and get them tied into a service provider for treatment, usually the outcomes very well. So you, in that situation though, the person has to be willing Yes. That's yes. And, and it sounds yes. like probably most of the situations you deal with, a the person has to be willing. Are, uh, I, I can tell you that the goal of a deputy sheriff going out on a call is to, once they get them de-escalated, to get them to volunteer to contact and utilize some type of resource. Right. And unfortunately for us, a lot of the times, you know, if it's the middle of the night or something like that, we'll we'll give them a a courtesy ride to the hospital or an ambulance. We'll take them to the hospital just so they can get stabilized there. And And then that, of course, again, they have to be willing to get in the ambulance. That's right. They have to be willing to go. Despite whether a family member is wanting them to do it or whatever, it still comes down that person has their own rights, and y'all cannot violate them right. <laughs> as legally. So um, wh- kind of in closing, just the thought about Walton County specifically and the number of mental health calls. And, and I know, you know, mental health, suicide, those are two topics that um, are definitely inclusive but sometimes can be exclusive of one another. Not all mental health calls end up in some kind of suicide um, situation, mm-hmm. but have we seen, I mean, as I stated before, you know, suicide and mental health issues, depression, 
is only increasing nationally. And sometimes we like to think of Walton County being kind of a bubble and, and not having the same experience. Have we seen these calls increased? Well, we certainly get a large number of them. I can tell you in 2018, we had 294 calls for someone in some type of mental distress. Now, that doesn't deal specifically with somebody that is, is talking about committing suicide. Suicide alone, we received 159 calls last year, and it's April right now, and we've already gotten 50 year-to-date for 2019. So it is, um, it is way more common than you'd think it would be, mm-hmm. uh, and it is I, – I don't – I don't know how to classify it. I mean, my own personal thoughts on the situation, um, I think it has a lot to do with the the opioid epidemic, uh, drugs in general. I think a lot of people that are contemplating uh, suicide that we've run across have a codependency issue with some type of drug, and I think that the, that – that's tied in together. Uh, there are certainly a large number of individuals that have a diagnosed specific mental condition that doesn't have anything to do with illegal drugs. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that those numbers are going up, down, or whatever. I know that that's part of the equation. Uh, I don't know. You know, you can think back years ago. Um, 15, 20 years ago, you wouldn't talk about mental health counseling. I mean, there was a pretty big stigma against that. You would never tell anybody. And now, I mean, you know, it's a running joke. You can see memes about people, you know, talking to my psychiatrist. Haven't had my medicine today or or whatever. Yeah, and and, uh, people that are on some type of medication. uh, I don't know that we're as resilient as we used to be. I'm not sure what what's going on there uh it is definitely a a continuing issue for us i think that not just at the county level i think the state uh, and even at the national level that you know we've got to do a better job of delivering services uh, to folks that are in crisis Uh, we can't just depend on one agency one group or you know even one county Uh, walton county is a great county we've got uh great government here we've got great resources here but to be honest with you you know Walton County government's not designed to be a uh, mental health provider right so um, which touches a little bit on and this is a national conversation how our jails um, a lot of times are the mental health facility. Yeah, for we have we have a large percentage of our population in jail uh, that have a known mental um, health issue, and it, it's not the place to. It's certainly not the place to deal with that. Now there are a lot of different programs that are going on, and we have a great one here. I can't speak enough about it. We have a uh, um, mental what health we court. call a mental health resource court here. Judge Benton actually uh, heads that up. It is staffed by uh, not only the judge and, and prosecutors, it's uh, defense attorneys, mental health providers, and law enforcement that they come together with some of these folks that are recurring 
they're committing recurring crimes. Uh, we know that they have a diagnosis or believe that perhaps they're undiagnosed for a, a serious mental illness. And what we find over and over and over again with these folks is that if you can get them to treatment, get them stabilized, and then hand in hand with all these uh, different resources, monitor them, keep them on a strict program, that, that they're not offenders, uh, that they're not going to uh, be recidivists, that they're going to uh, become um, productive members of society and, and do what they can do. Um, and not just going through this continual cycle of I'm, I'm not well, I'm not being treated, or I'm not, the treatment plan wasn't working for me. Uh, so they go into a mental crisis, and um, while they're in mental crisis, they do these things that wind up putting them in jail, and it just becomes a circular loop, that uh, a cycle that never gets broken. So the mental rehabs, mental Health resource cord is. So who goes to that? How do you get? So into you that? can get a referral to that with uh, by your defense attorney, uh, by the prosecuting attorney. Uh, there's some of the mental health providers have stepped in. The way that works is is once a referral is done to that program, all of the people that I mentioned before actually sit down at the round table and review the case to make sure that they're a good candidate for it because there is criteria right. that they have to meet for it. And how long does that last? Or I mean, do Th you That know? is up to the judge. Okay. Uh, I can tell you I've I, I sat on these in this panel before, and it, everything is a case-by-case -case basis designed around that individual with the court as an accountability measure. They actually come to court every week, uh, so every week somebody is looking at um, – has their eyes on them. Yeah, has their eyes on them, so to speak, yeah. All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. One time. Um, can you give that hotline number? The g calendar? Yes. Because um, you, you said that's for I anybody, thought, correct? That's yeah. So anyone who feels like they're in crisis or um, what well, about – I want to say I, I said, I said uh, G-CAL, the Georgia Crisis Action, but I want you to know, too, that – you know, there are a number of other resources out there. Specifically, uh, I think the Veterans Administration has done a great job of reaching out. And if we identify somebody as a veteran, we always try to push them through those channels. Um, How do you keep up with all of these resources? Do you have some kind of sheet that the officer has? Or yeah, they, how get do you do bombarded. This? they get bombarded with uh, that kind of stuff. But... Uh, the Georgia Crisis, it's, if it's actually listed as Georgia Crisis Hotline, um, but the Georgia Crisis and Access Line is, I, I always call it GCAL, that's the acronym for it. Um, there's, there's a couple of different numbers. Um, and we talked about NAMI earlier. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Oh, you got it. Those folks <laughs> are great. But the, the Georgia Crisis and Access Line is 1-800-715-4225. And, of course, you can Google them pretty easy. And it's uh, mygcal.com is their website. But, you know, they do a good job uh, of setting up resources. I mean, we've we've dealt with numerous people that actually they're willing to get on the phone and talk to them and 
before they get off the phone with them, they've got appointments set up for the next day and follow-up treatment. So is that something that sometimes officers do on scene? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They call. Yep, that's part of, hey, you know, here's a resource for you. Uh, We can't make people use resources, but... um, but if you can do. call them while you're there with them, sometimes, sometimes you have yeah, better. It, it all depends on the individual. Sometimes these folks just aren't, you know, they're not willing, they don't want to talk to anybody. Right. So as far as the sheriff's office goes and people out there listening who maybe want to find out about more of these resources, is there a way that they can come down here and, and get a list of resources? Or is, like, what's the best way um, to find out other than what you talked well, we'll about, what's to, out there. Yeah, we'll be glad to share what we have and, and steer people in the right direction on anything. You know, it's such a broad, it's such a broad problem. I mean, a lot of it depends on the that person's individual needs. Advantage Behavior does a great job out here. Uh, we work with them one on one on a lot of cases. They they are a central nexus here in the county uh, to tie into. To all types of resources, even things that, you know, we're not involved with. Right. So, parting words, just your thoughts. Anyone who may be listening that is struggling with suicidal thoughts or someone who has a loved one who may be struggling with that, um, thoughts. Well, so what I think a lot of what we've talked about here and kind of pointed to is, hey, you're not alone. Uh, It's a problem that is... Uh, it's out there. Um, you're not alone in the in the issue. Uh, there are a lot of people that are experiencing mental problems. Just because you may be down uh, and having an event in your life that's put you in crisis doesn't mean that you know that's the end all and, and that they're not better days ahead. Um, and I promise you, we see it over and over again that if you get connected with the right resources and um, go about it the right way then you know you're you're okay uh you're gonna be fine and um it'll all life will be good thank you so much i appreciate it major wisnett i um thank you for coming and sharing all of this we like covered a lot of ground here so i think it's a lot of information for people to take in but i do want to say that um anyone as you have heard today the sheriff's office their mission is quite broad, just service to the community overall. So you can always feel free to call the non-emergency number to the sheriff's office to um, find out about if you have any questions about what we talked about or whatever. Um, and you can ask for Major Wisnett too. I'm sure that sure. he can help you out or put you in contact with the right person. So sure. thanks for sharing with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by Walton Wellness, Inc., and the Walton County Healthcare Foundation. Email us at waltonwellness at gmail.com. Find us on the web at waltonwellness.org, Facebook, and Instagram.